0: Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Tot- Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. Joining me as always, it's Alistair Gold. Ali, you well? Yeah,
1: still recovering from the Rob Guest derby um, and that late drama which I'm sure made you very happy in the Gladys End. Is that how you pronounce it? Gladys? I don't know, it's got a W in it, isn't it? i never yeah. noticed that before.
0: Yeah, Gladys Street End that is yeah. straight.
1: Um yes, I'm sure you were jumping up and down with delight uh, and I'm sure it's going to give us a few things to discuss not least that first goal. Um I was going to say goal in quote marks but it's a goal it counted. Um yeah, yeah, okay. And obviously we've had a big uh, departure to come from Tottenham as well up near the top of the club heading across London. So we've got that to talk about and yeah, there's plenty to talk about actually because it was uh, it's been quite an interesting week.
0: It has. Uh, we'll start with yesterday's news at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. That is Todd Klein, uh, the Chief Commercial Officer at Tottenham Hotspur, has resigned and it looks like he's heading across London to Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Ali, you were covering the news yesterday. Do you want to just give us your thoughts on that, first of all?
1: Yeah, it kind of it takes me back to old Frank Arneson days when he left Spurs and suddenly after a period of gardening leave was going to Chelsea. Um very different roles, obviously. Frank Arneson is probably the Fabio Paratici of his day, um, Johan Lang type. Um, but Todd Klein, yeah, more to do with commercial stuff, of course. Um, exactly the same scenario, though, that he has resigned and been placed on garden leave and is expected to head to Chelsea at the end of that. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one, his time at Tottenham um, and how you want to judge it. Because obviously, the main big thing that he was brought in with the big headline of, what is he was going to bring in the stadium naming rights deal. That was kind of his brief. Um, he'd done it before at the Miami Dolphins. He's got quite a history in the NFL. It was at the uh, uh, Washington and the um, uh, Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins, he set up, I think it was, a. I was trying to remember the amount of deal it was now. It was, oh, 180 million, I'd written it down here. 180 million sponsorship deal for the what is now known as the Hard Rock Stadium. Um, and obviously they thought, okay, it's gonna come in and do similar for Spurs. However, three years on, nothing still. Um, although I should stress, and Daniel Levy, to be fair, has said this as well. There's definitely been a slowing down in the need to have that deal done in the last couple of years. It was a real kind of everyone was so fascinated by it, fixated on it. When's the standing naming rights deal? Honestly, I think I got asked that almost every day at one point. Um But what they've kind of have realised in the last couple of years is that actually having the words Tottenham Hotspur on the stadium has made them loads more money than they expected it would. And it's also draws a lot of attention to them for other sponsorship deals and revenue and things like that. So I think they've realised that actually during this period of what is it, half a decade since the stadium opened, they're probably making, you know, I'm not going to say as much as they would have stayed in naming rights deal, but certainly a fair whack of money that they weren't anticipating just by, Oh, it's such jargony marketing speak, but I guess, you know, getting their brand out there, um, and, and globalizing it and all that sort of stuff. But Todd Klein's brief was, that was one of the main things he was going to do. So if you're going to judge him on that, obviously hasn't happened. Um, you know, you can speculate to the end of the day, kind of as much as you like, about why that is. Could he have maybe brought in deals that then weren't agreed to? Maybe the prices weren't what Spurs were looking for. Certainly, the word on the market seems to be that Spurs are looking for a big, if not one of the biggest deals, uh, for a stadium naming rights deal. I mean, some of them in America have been up like 300, 400. I think there's been a 500 million pound one spread out over like 20, 25 years. But I think that's kind of thing Spurs would be looking at. the the figure we keep hearing is like 20, 25 million a year, um, which would kind of make sense in those times of figures. Um, But yeah, I mean, how do I put this? Uh, Todd Klein, certainly there's been a lot of credit put to him in terms of revenue and things he has brought in around that. Um, There's the he was involved with the Gettier deal for the training ground kit stuff. He was involved with Cinch, the uh, sleeve sponsors that they have as well. I think the renewal of the, is it Ineos, how they pronounce it, deal, the um, uh, Jim Radcliffe-owned, uh, is it Petrochemical Company? I'm trying to remember what they actually are now. Um, there's that. Yeah, yeah it is. Is it, Yeah. And there's also the uh, Formula One stuff with the um, is it F1 Drive, the new thing. I think it's opened. It's either today or this week under the stadium. So I think he's been involved in all of that and many more. I think his main brief, as well as the stadium, was partnerships. Was trying to bring in various avenues of extra yeah revenue really and, and an income stream and getting uh, people in you know get, sorry getting concerts, events in things like that to the stadium. Just kind of getting everything around that. Um, and to be fair, you know, I was looking at the, uh, is it Deloitte? How do you spell it? Is that Deloitte? Deloitte. I love that yeah. I always look to you as as my pronunciation <laughs> guru. Um, the Deloitte Football Money League Spurs revenue for the 2022-23 season went up to £549 million for the season, which is not only gives them the eighth biggest revenue in the sport, but that's the highest, The I don't know, could you say richest? I guess the most income of any club in London they have now um 36 million more than chelsea 86 million more than arsenal um so obviously he's played his part in that um so you know there have been certainly positives to his time at the club i think the where he maybe was slightly divisive within the club was that there was a big overhaul of his department when he came in and over the years there's been quite a few long serving members of staff that have moved on and obviously whenever that happens that's not going to be the most popular thing i know even last month, I think it was, um, Fran Jones, who was the partnership director, who's very, very highly rated and very popular. He'd been at the club for 21 years. He moved to Brentford as their new commercial director. Um, and whether that's connected or not, it's de- it's still another part of an overhaul within a department that had a lot of kind of uh, movement in it. Let's put it that way. And I guess, you know, it's like in any department, in any workplace, when there's a lot of people that have been there for a long time and and people rate highly and they move on. Um, Obviously, that causes a little bit of friction. Um, Although there is some credit that's gone to Todd Klein for some of the people he brought in, very talented as well. So, uh, yeah, it would be interesting to see now how how it works with him going across to Chelsea, which they've obviously got. uh, He's going from a club that has this um, very stable financial, uh, certainly with financial fair play, uh, look to it and he's going to Chelsea we know are having issues. I mean I saw I don't know whether it's true or not, but I saw the speculation yesterday in one of the reports that they can't even let Mauricio Pochettino go because that would put them over their financial fair <laughs> play limit. Which I oh wow. If that's true, that's that's just an incredible uh scenario to have got yourselves into. But yeah, that's what Todd Kine will be kind of moving into. Um and to be fair to him, he really did throw himself into the culture at Spurs. He you know, listen to a lot of the, the fan podcasts that were out there, and certain kind of journalist podcasts to do it, so you could kind of soak up knowledge of the club and and how the fans saw things and how the media saw things. I often saw him around in his um, Spurs badged up uh, club blazer that he would wear. Would sometimes travel up alongside the fans to away games up and down the country. I don't think he, they even realised he was kind of there amongst them, but I, I saw him a few times. Um, whenever I was kind of spoke to him out and about very, you know, polite, pleasant chap, um, you know, we had a chance to kind of, I think I said this in a previous pod, He came and had a little, like a little chat with us out in Korea on tour. Some of the journalists, not like a, like an interview or anything, just a, just a chat about his role and what he does and everything. And he always kind of came across very well to us. Uh, and yeah, and we'll see, I'm, I'm sure Spurs, um, won't be ecstatic that he's heading across to Chelsea, although um, it's, uh, there was some speculation that he might've been leaving at the end of the season anyway. So perhaps it was something that was being planned for, but yeah, as, as with anyone in any kind of role, especially at a premier league club, that there'll be different ways of looking at what he's done. There'll be different narratives to what he's done, shaped by the people that kind of see it from different angles. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, I mean, if they get a naming rights deal like, a couple of weeks after he leaves, then that's that's not going to look great. But um, yeah, certainly he's brought in a fair chunk of money to the club. It's fair to say.
0: Yeah, well, I think uh, Todd Klein said in a fans advisory board meeting last September, like you only get one chance at naming the stadium, so everything's got to fall into place, and it it's got to be the right deal. And I agree with what you say about the name Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. That's done the club really well over the past few years, especially when you've got big NFL matches, concerts, boxing events, everything else what's happening at the club. And let's be honest, there's a stadium across North London, the Emirates Stadium. That could be anywhere in the world, but you know Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, you know where exactly that is. And yeah, obviously if you're coming into the club with the objective of naming the stadium it hasn't quite happened fans will point to that but i think if you look at the huge revenue increase and uh what's happened in terms of some of the sponsorships such as get and cinch then yeah he's uh done his job but like i said some will obviously point at the uh naming rights and i mean it's coming up to i think we're about two months away from the fifth year anniversary aren't we of the first game uh And still no name, but like I said, I don't think that's necessarily such a bad thing at the moment. It's just got to be the right deal for all involved.
1: Yeah. Well, the expression he used in that fans advisory board meeting was getting the term fee and brand partnered with all correct are difficult. And I've, yeah, I mean, I listened to a funny, a funny yesterday. I I remembered it from the time Daniel Levy, I think it was his Bloomberg interview perhaps when he was speaking about it. And it is, it's, again look of course spurs want big money because it is one of the best stadiums in the world and and it's proved that and it is a, a bit of a uh, a stadium that a lot of other clubs i think and sports look to um for its multi-purpose use the nfl obviously uh, as well um so you've also got to be very mindful that if you commit to a 2025 20, year deal it's not only the fees, obviously, got to be right, but that name, the person, it is, sorry, the uh, the company it is, has to be absolutely right because I think he's like he's ruled out betting companies. Um, I've seen him do that in an inter- I think it was the same interview. So. Yeah, you, you do have to choose very carefully. Is it New Everton Stadium? Are they looking, presumably, they'd look for stadium sponsorship as well?
0: Uh, I think so. I think there was the Rob Guest Arena. <laughs> yeah, I have that much money to sponsor it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, from what I've heard, my sources tell me <laughs> Football. London understands.
0: But I think a lot of clubs do that now with the new build stadiums, mm. don't they? Because of the revenue it brings in. And I mean, can you remember it? Uh, St. James's Park, wasn't that known as? Was it Sports oh. Direct at St. James's Park? Yes, briefly. Well, yeah. yeah, which didn't go down well. But all these old stadiums, you've always gone to know them as what they were previously called. It's just another way of bringing money in.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, look, I know there's a fair chunk of fans that still just call it White Hart Lane. Um, (laughs) I don't. I don't. And I've always been quite clear on that. For me, White Hart Lane was that other beautiful grand old stadium that existed just slightly to the side, um, partly overlapping, but slightly to the side. and, And, you know, the old stadium where I have memories of my dad taking me and all of that so i don't call the new stadium white hart lane it's purely for that it's just to separate a place my dad used to take me with a place that yeah it was just kind of after he'd gone it was just my kind of place because we kind of watched it being uh, born in a way kind of it's and growing up being constructed and everything so yeah i've never seen it as white hart lane but i can understand a lot of people as part of their match day ritual it's it's the same for them um, and I'm sure those people, if it, whatever it's called, will still call it white Hart lane. I don't think that probably changes that. I'd imagine we'd stop calling it the Tottenham Hotspur stadium. Um, cause it's not, you know, it's not the sexiest name in the world, but I get why it's called that. Um, I think I'm sure we'd probably change only because we'd have to write it so yeah. much. Yeah. That would probably change it for us. But, uh, yeah, we, we've kind of strayed away slightly from the initial thing, which was Todd Klein. Um, yeah, well, um, all eyes on on how he gets on at Chelsea. Um, obviously, not going quite too well right now with the last Spurs person that's gone to Chelsea uh, with Mauricio Pochettino uh, not pulling up any trains yet there. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Todd Klein.
0: Right, we'll move on to last Saturday's game at Goodison Park, uh, a 2-2 draw uh, against Everton. Spurs started well. Richarlison scoring at his former home. Really well taken goal. Everton then equalised. Goal that was credited to Jack Harrison. I can't see a touch from him, but there you go. Uh, It does.
1: It it hits his leg. The header hit his leg.
0: Yeah. Uh, Richarlison again getting the goal to his name to make it two onto Spurs going into the second half. And then Everton... 94th minute equaliser through Jared Brantway. You were in the press box at Goodison Alley. What did you make of the game? Um, funny game. It's I think the last two or three games
1: Spurs have kind of had these really clunky performances where they've shown in moments um, what they're capable of and in other moments have have not really played the cogly way. It's been a bit stilted, a bit kind of uh, ball being played around the back too much. And you can see Postacoglu going mad on the touchline. There were a few times he was furious. There was one moment when I think it was maybe Porro had to try to play the ball down the wing to Johnson and the ball got cut out. My goodness, honestly, I felt like he was roaring next to me in the press box. His shout was that loud. Postacoglu was so angry that the ball wasn't played quicker. and, yeah, there's various reasons for that. I think, you know, the midfield, we're going to talk about that in a bit. I think that's, for me, is probably one of the biggest areas of why it's just not quite working in the centre of the pitch. And that obviously affects both ends. It affects kind of your defensive side of the game, but it also affects the um, the link-up with the attackers. But, yeah, it was a strange game. And it all started so well. Um, obviously, Richardson's on fire at the moment. And the first goal was prime Postacoglu. It was exactly that. You know, Werner involved plays into Udogi, Udogi knocks it inside Richarlison again. One of those lovely first time finishes. Um, I think he was about to celebrate again, reminded himself where he was, did a, a couple of apologies. Uh, right in front of you, wasn't he? I'd imagine,
0: yeah, he was. Uh, just to my right, it was. Uh, he, he did start to run off and then just yeah. obviously realized exactly where he was. Uh, stopped. Put his, you know, palms of his hands together and just like apologized to the fans. And did he look at went... you directly? Yeah, he was staring right at me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that might, I mean it was, uh, it was well received by the fans in the Gladys Street. Ending the same, he did it to the fans in the family enclosure. What would have been to his l- right when he was running back, and I know a number of Everton fans on Twitter have been like questioning why on earth was people clapping him for scoring. It was, well, people weren't clapping him for scoring. They were applauding him for... That would be weird. Showing his respect for what he did. Did you applaud he, him? Yeah. Uh, I mean, he didn't have to do what he did. But I think thought that was just a really, really nice touch. And he just shows how much he values Everton as a club and the supporters. And... Did you
1: have to take down the sign though, that you were holding, uh, Richie, can I have your shirt, please, to clap <laughs> Yeah, I did, yeah. <laughs> I could imagine that was difficult because you, yeah, you might have torn it if you'd clapped with that in your hands.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but like I said, just a really, really nice touch from him. And for the second goal as well, I think he just put his shirt over his head, didn't he? Because he I went suppose. to celebrate again. Yeah, I watched it yeah. back,
1: he does. And because it's a brilliant goal, the second goal. And any footballer, every fibre in their being is probably saying, run and celebrate. And then he's realised and shoved his uh, shirt over his head. It was so funny.
0: Yeah. Uh, I don't know if someone spotted it, but he did have a really nice moment with the Everton fans after the game when he was getting I on, the East, that, no. on the Spurs bus. Uh, instead of getting straight on the bus, obviously they have, usually have a barrier around where supporters can gather. And yeah, I think he was there taking uh, pictures with fans. Uh, he's, Put a post up on his Instagram account. There was always this young Everton fan. I who saw that a, boy. I had a Yeah, had a picture with growing up uh, over the years, and yeah, had a, another picture with him. So yeah, I think there was a fair few Everton fans there. You know, making the feelings clear to him. So good day it's for like him. Daughter, no, I, I was already on the way home. So his <laughs> final whistle went <laughs> with your sh- with his shirt in hand. And the Brazilian flag as well, yeah. <laughs> no, I thought, really, really good day for him again. He's just on fire at the moment. Nine in eight Premier League games, uh, 11 already this season. Two excellent finishes. I know a lot of people are saying like how good the second one was, but I thought the first one was brilliant. Agreed. And, and I just thought, once that first one went in, I just thought... It's just gonna be one of these days where Spurs yeah. are gonna run right and it's just gonna to go to pop for Everton, but that wasn't the case.
1: No, he um he was a bit of a shining light, really, for Spurs. I'd say so he and Van der Ven were the two shining lights on yeah. the day, and no one else really reached their levels. Um, yeah, Richardson's been superb. I think I love the fact that and we spoke about this before that Sonny before he went off to the Asian Cup essentially just laid down a massive challenge to him and said, yeah, yeah, no, he's got to step up now and score the goals because I'm going away. And it was a bit like, whoa, this guy's like, he was just showing some little signs of being like a, you know, justifying some of the massive fee that Spurs paid for him. It felt like a bit like, have you chucked too much on his shoulders? But Fair play to Sonny. It was clearly the spot on right thing to say because he's reacted so well. I think he's scored in every game since Sonny's last game for the club before he went away i think every sorry every premier league game yeah gordon yeah um and like you say nine goals in the premier league in eight matches he's been he's been excellent and it's his all-round game as well um there's this weird thing i've seen recently where some people criticizing his hold-up play i think his hold-up play has been excellent i think he's really holds yeah of course there's going to be times when he's not going to be able to keep the ball forever while he's waiting for everyone else to get around him but i do think on the whole uh and postocoglu said this a lot of the joy they're getting is because of him holding up the ball and spinning in the midfield and being able to kind of play it out to the flanks or back to the midfield. Um Yeah, I think he's been excellent. And, I mean, he's on to surely get his best goal tally in a season ever at this point. Um
0: Yeah, I think it was 12, 15. 15, was 15. in all comps, 2019-20 season. So, I mean, he's only far off, so you'd think he'll better it and probably better it by some distance with, what, about 15 Premier League games to go. Especially his current form, he's just oozing confidence and I think he probably knows when he gets the ball in the right area, he knows he's going to score. And, you know, credit to him. Uh, I did a piece on him yesterday morning and I said... I'm shocked. (laughs) Yeah, for a change. (laughs) As important as his goals have been and Spurs fans can quite clearly see now we can, you know, find the back of the net on a regular basis, which unfortunately wasn't the case from last season. But it's it's the other side of his game, which is only going to further endear himself to Tottenham fans and strengthen that bond and his battling qualities, uh, his defensive work, hold up play, etc. I think Everton fans really appreciated him for his all-around game. And I think now Tottenham fans are probably starting to do that as well. Just not about the goals with Richarlison. It's literally the the full package.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. And Postacoglu keeps saying he can only get better. He feels like there's so much more to come from him because the beauty of the Postacoglu system, and this isn't to simplify it too much for the striker because they've still got to do a hell of a lot to get into these positions, but you know that 60 70% of the attacks are going to be down the line put into the six yard box or pulled back slightly to about eight yards in the box so he knows whenever those wingers set off he's got to get in that kind of space and then maybe slightly pull back off the defender and he'll get a lot of goals and he scored a fair few of his goals have come from that kind of area already um and so he can continue to develop his all-round game while scoring those goals it's being drilled into him to score like that and i think it's it's a shame i'm still seeing fans saying oh hopefully in the summer we sign a proper number nine and you think Brazil's number nine. He's not too shabby, you know, and he's really kind of finding his way now at Tottenham. Um, He could, if he keeps going the way he's going, you know, who knows? I would imagine he'll get over 20 goals for the season, which for a striker is exactly what you want. Um, And no, I I don't think there's, you know, having been someone that's kind of wanted a lot more from him um, in the first season or so at Spurs, I think he's doing everything asked of him right now. I think he's having a terrific... Um, I don't want to even call it a spell because I'm hoping it's now the way he'll be going forward. I think it's uh, obviously we've spoken about it at length, but, you know, the the um, surgery had, I think, has fixed a lot of his mobility issues. Um, that's there. And and he is a confidence player. There's no getting away from it. And and we're seeing right now the, the fruits of him being full of confidence. And like you say, two wonderful. I mean, that second goal, first goal was a terrific finish. It was it was the kind of first-time finishes where he's been showing us. But that second one, he almost scored a goal like that against Brentford, didn't he? he kind of curled it and it went just wide, slightly further out, I think. Um, but this one was just, as soon as he hit it, it was like, yep, yep, straight in. Yeah, kind of no doubts about it. And uh, and I do think he'll benefit as Madison gets sharper as well, finding his run. So I think you will see some central goals from him. Uh, and obviously that was an assist from Madison as well. So, yeah. That's definitely one of the plus points, I think, from the game was Richarlison's display.
0: It must have been some injury for him because the difference between him pre-surgery yeah. and post-surgery is night and day. And, mm. I mean, Sonny had an issue last season, didn't he, where he just played on and then eventually had to go under the knife in the summer, and it's just one of these where you're thinking if early you know, had that surgery sooner... But, you know, thankfully for Tottenham, he is now scoring the goals. Speaking of goals, we'll move on to Everton's <laughs> first, because I think this is, it's fair to say it's a bit of a talking point between some Tottenham fans, some probably Tottenham think. Fans. It, yeah. Not Everton fans. No, well, I know, obviously, quite a few have pointed out that it shouldn't have stood, but I don't think, well, I've not seen many pundits and that going on about it. Like, it's so no, major. Talking point, and even on ref watch yesterday on Sky Sports News, I think Dermot Gallagher was asked about it, and he says he didn't think it was a foul uh, either. Uh, but some Tottenham fans uh, obviously believe there was a foul, some might believe you know Vicario should have been stronger in that situation. I know, I think for you, you probably believe there was a foul there.
1: I think it was. More than a foul than the Diaz one against City. I would say, at least with Diaz, I could see he was also trying to jump up and his eyes were on the ball as well. So you could argue he's challenging uh, Vicario for the ball. Whereas with Harrison, he was just throwing himself, backpedaling into Vicario to try and stop his jump. And it was something that had been targeted. You know, he he was there every... Even um, Dice joked... He said the second half, because Vicario started claiming balls from the air, he said, oh yeah, that's probably because he forgot that was his job. So it's like, it was clearly something that had been set up to do. And for me, I felt it just kind of veered into the territory of he's not making any attempt to get the ball. He's trying to disrupt the jump and knock him off balance. And that for me, I think is a foul. I think if you go up for a header anywhere else on the pitch and the other player purely looks to kind of knock you off your feet rather than go for the ball, I think that's a foul. Whereas in the the goal mouth, it seems to be being allowed at the moment. And yeah, I mean, the law is, there's all interesting ways to interpret it. You know, is is whether he's being impeded and all this sort of stuff. Do I think Vicario still has to be a bit stronger? Yes, I do. Um, I think that's the last couple, those two goals have kind of shown that. I think it's, look, he was never going to be the finished article straight from the off in the Premier League. And I think because he's been so fantastic, we've kind of, just brushed off that, the fact that he's still got to learn and adapt to the Premier League. And I think this physicality element of it, it's just something that will come. Um, and clubs are going to target it now. As soon as any kind of Premier League team gets a sense of a, a potential weakness, they're all going to try to do it. So he's going to have to um, adapt to that. I would say... I don't know about you, but do you feel like it's something that defence and whether it's Matthew Wells or actually because it's set pieces, probably Milly Yedinac because he's the defensive set piece guy. Is it something that one of those people or Romero needs to be dealing with and getting someone in between that player and the goalkeeper? So at least in that scenario, Romero can jump up and head the ball or someone like that.
0: Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. Uh, maybe Romero needs to take a bit of responsibility, having seen what Everton were doing and then just get between the goalie and the defender. But I think given Spurs have conceded two from set pieces at Everton, one against Man City last time out, then I think certainly an area they need to work on on the training ground. And as you said, clubs will have seen a potential weakness there and will be looking to exploit it. And for Everton... Uh, we put a lot of crosses into the box anyway because when you've got players such as Dwight McNeil, Ashley Young, Jack Harrison who can swing a good ball and then you've got someone as good in the air as Dominic Calvert-Lewin, then you're always going to do that but maybe they did see that as a potential weakness that they could have oh, it, un-
1: it was definitely under the crossbar. The cross- a lot of crosses were going yeah. straight into the mixer rather than in the six-yard box.
0: I know second half in the Gladys Street end, a lot of fans were getting frustrated in terms of the ball from a corner so he was just going straight to Vicario and he was claiming it uh-huh. every time and uh, for me on that goal and I'm completely objective on this and a lot of people say well you can't be you're an Everton fan but Yeah you uh, can't be you're an Everton fan yeah, I'll, but, I'll add to that voice. Yeah but then again how can you be objective if you're a Tottenham fan? True true yeah I guess we're both meant
1: to remove that fan side of us aren't we when we look at stuff so yeah, yeah. go on that's, no, that's I fair. mean that's what I'm
0: saying is you get certain fans who, if something goes against your team, then, like, there's something going against your team. But for me, I can say, if it's a foul, it's a foul. Your eyes don't lie, you know. Uh, for me, that wasn't a foul. There's not sufficient contact there, for me. I mean, I think the way some have maybe made it out to be, it's like he's completely backing into it and forcing him into that is no, there's a bit of contact there, but it's not enough for a foul, in my opinion. I think what doesn't help... Jump.
1: But if you can't jump because someone's pushing your legs backwards, is that not... But like he gets in the air.
0: He's still jumping. It's not like he's completely... Well, kind of locked. sideways, like a
1: diagonal jump rather than a, the one he was trying to do.
0: For me, it's not a foul and... A top referee, former top referee and Gallagher <laughs> obviously agrees with me as well and I'm, I'm sure there'll be some Tottenham fans who think yeah, oh, the keeper yeah. needs to be stronger yeah. in that situation but what I'm going to say is goalkeepers have too much protection as it is and what doesn't yeah. help the case is some poor calls from referees in va especially that one at the Etihad Stadium between Man City and Liverpool a couple of months back yeah. when City scored, and there was barely a touch on Allison. And when you're giving a foul for that, then everyone that he's going to be claiming, like the one on Vicario is a foul, and another one's a foul. The consistency doesn't help, but for me, the keeper needs to be stronger. There wasn't sufficient contact to make it a foul. Yeah,
1: look, I'm not going to, you know, I am. I'm kind of... Slightly, slightly trying to wind you up. It's I'm uh, <laughs> I'm not I would I think it was the biggest foul I've ever seen, the most obvious foul. No, no. no, not at all. Do I think that there's a shout for a foul in there? Yes, I think there is, and like I say, more than the Diaz one, but I also there is a part of me that feels like the rest of the team now has to really support Vicario and help him out in these situations as he learns to kind of deal with it. And I do think a lot of that responsibility kind of has to fall on Romero as vice-captain and captain at the moment um, because he kind of felt for that goal. He was just kind of watching. He was just kind of watching it all unfold and you're thinking, get in there, you know. Whether he's a bit worried about the fact that, you know, we know what Romero's like, he might end up kind of elbowing him or something if he got in the middle of the two. But I can assure you that Romero standing in front uh, of Vicario, Harrison is not trying to do anything there And also, even just not, you know, you see Harrison probably will be skipping around him, trying to bang into him and everything. And I think the referee sees that and just constantly keeps separating them. I don't think you're led you're led to that scenario where Vicario is then kind of pushed or fouled or not fouled or whatever we want to call it. Um, But yeah, yeah, it's certainly something that I think Spurs are going to have to keep an eye on because it is going to become something that people uh, focus on opposition teams.
0: Yeah, I must say as well, if that had happened at the other end of the pitch, I wouldn't have said that was a foul personally. I, mm. I didn't think there was sufficient contact. I'm not just saying it's a goal cost, Everton scored it. I just don't think there was sufficient contact there. No. Right. And I do uh, think they reacted
1: badly. I was going to say, yeah, I do think, and this was the same uh, at City as well in the City game, and actually is the same at the end of the game as well um, with the. Uh, The second goal for Everton, I do feel like Spurs recently have been really poor at reacting to things that have gone against them. And actually, two goals against Brentford they conceded as well. Yes, Udogi made mistakes with those two, but the way they reacted after those moments was really slow and ineffective. Um, And that's something, I don't know how you fix that, but just the reactions to it and being able to deal with a little setback doesn't seem to be going their way at the moment.
0: Yeah. Right, before we move on to a few more other topics in the 2-2 draw with Everton, Ali, do you want to let everyone know about the benefits of using NordVPN?
1: Of course, yeah. The Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN, and you can use the service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. Nord NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world, and that means there's no buffering, no lagging, and you can stream your favorite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. Um, it's something I have used for so many years, Um, I'll be using it again this year when I head off, whether it's on work uh, trips abroad or whether it's on holidays, just to be able to um, access things you would be able to watch at home. You Just set your device to thinking it's back home in the UK or likewise, you can set it to thinking it's in a completely different country so you can utilize your device as if it's in that country. And not only that, but the outlay on a NordVPN subscription is cheap if you in the long run. That's because you can purchase streaming services or bookings from other countries at a much cheaper rate. So, for example, you could book flights from another country, and that might be cheaper too. So it means you're paying out for Nord, but you're actually saving money overall. There's a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab the exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash goldguest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.
0: Right, you've mentioned Mickey Van Der Ven briefly when you were discussing Richarlison as in Spurs you know two most impressive plays on the day, at Gullison Park. I thought Mickey Van Van Der Ven was outstanding, really, really impressive. And for me, it was nice to see the play from a different angle rather than being in the press box because behind the goal, uh, especially in the second half, there were a number of times. When the ball was played over the top, I think Jack Harrison was played through on goal, and you're thinking he's through here, he's going to get a shot. And then from from nowhere, Mickey van der Ven just, you know, turns on the burners and he's there. And he's such a weapon uh, for Tottenham to have a defender who is so, so pacey. And, you know, he's only what, 22 years old? Absolutely huge, huge player who's probably going to keep growing given his age. and do you he, mean
1: height-wise or do you just mean talent-wise?
0: I think, I think it'll probably still be a bit of growth in him, won't it? To <laughs> 22? Maybe.
1: I don't think he's going to get as tall as 22. That would be uh, incredible if he did. I think well, he normally so. stop about 17, 18, I think.
0: But he's... he will be about eight sunk. foot tall if he keeps growing. Yeah, uh, <laughs> He's uh, just an absolute beast, isn't he? At the back. Yeah. Absolute unit. Uh, really, really impressive and, you know to be what, a few months into his Tottenham career. He looks like he's been in the Premier League for years already. Uh, such a good player. Really, really impressed with him.
1: Yeah, no, he's excellent. Um, I do think they rely on him too much. I think they uh, the whole system is set up around um oh oh well if we lose the ball mickey will get back and help us out because honestly and and even before the game i i had kind of thought i wonder if they'll bring in Dragishin, you know give him some game time and then i kind of thought on the day it was a bit like you just can't take van der ven out i mean Dragishin's not slow but no one seems to have that lightning pace that van der ven's got and i grabbed him afterwards in the uh mix zone i say mix zone um goodison park is literally a corridor <laughs> it's like they walk out the dressing room and they kind of can't escape you uh, which is quite helpful um and yeah he is huge you know i'm six foot so i'm not like a tiny guy and he was towering above me looking down. i thought he was gonna like pat me on the head at one point he's such a huge guy and he was wearing a hood uh, his tracksuit hood was up at first he looked like that's some kind of superhero or something um he had to take the hood down though because he couldn't actually hear what i was saying when i was asking him his questions but he was i was almost gonna say a bad word there he 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 was um annoyed let's put it that way he was not um in the best of spirit. he spoke very well i'm not wasn't saying that you know he's had any attitude with me or anything but he was furious at what had just occurred in the game um and he admitted that he didn't say a word to anyone in the changing rooms. I think he got in there a little bit later because he had to do some media interviews for like TV and radio and Spurs TV or Spurs play, whatever it's called nowadays. Um, So he got in there a bit late and he said like pretty much, I think he just went to the shower, showered, didn't speak to anyone and then came out and then unfortunately for him got stopped by this Muppet in the mix. zone (laughs) Asking him questions. Um, But he did speak very well and he was, yeah, I mean, I've got his stats here for the day. He, three tackles, one interception, six clearances, three aerial challenges he won, and he blocked one shot as well. Um, He was just, yeah, ridiculously good on the day. And I do feel like at the moment, he's Spurs' best defender, I think. Um, I don't think Romero's reached the consistency yet that he had earlier in the season, Um, whereas Van de Ven seems to have just come back from injury like he wasn't away which is, you know, massive kind of credit to him. Um, And yeah, he was just really annoyed with the way the game had played out uh, because I asked him and Postacoglu similar questions. I asked Postacoglu about the fact that was it really disappointing, especially that they would have trained and prepared for the fact that Everton are going to be great at set pieces and both the goals came from set pieces. Postacoglu was quiet, as he can be, because he can be a bit of a contrarian, we know. He said, oh, no, you know, they had 30 set pieces, only scored from two of them. It's not like they only had two and scored from them both. It's like, okay. But when I asked um Mickey the same question, he was like, Yeah, no, it is disappointing. It is because that's what we knew it was going to be, and that's exactly what it did. So that's on us for not being able to defend the thing that we were expecting them to be good at. Um so yeah, he was he was kind of maybe it was just because he was more annoyed, perhaps he's something more honest. Good thing was I asked him about his um any muscle issues whether he was feeling any kind of pain still from his previous stuff and he said not a single thing he said he's absolutely free of pain now and and that's good going forward for the future as well um but yeah he's just a fantastic player he's I said it before but I'll keep sticking with it he is Jan Vertonghen and Ledley King rolled into one for me he's got elements of both of their games um he's I still think back to the ridiculous um, thing that was it Tim Sherwood said about being like really wooden and a bad defender. And it's like, gosh, Tim Sherwood's come out with some takes, hasn't he? He really has of this current Spurs side. And I've seen him doubling down on some of them. And it's just like, oh, just just admit it. You know, Van der Ven is, for me, he's up there with the best Premier League defenders at the moment. And he's 22, and he's going to get better, which is going to be scary for attackers out there. It's purely, I think, just clear steering clear of the hamstring problems. Um, but yeah, excellent defender. And I'm intrigued to see whether he grows into a bit of a leader in the team as well. I think at previous clubs, he'd been the captain, hadn't he? I'm sure he'd worn the armband a few times at previous clubs. Um, so yeah, one to maybe keep an eye on. A bit like Vatongan and Ledley, maybe he ends up being a not a vocal leader, but a leader by kind of uh, example. Um, but yeah, no, he was superb.
0: Yeah. Uh, one area Spurs did struggle was in the midfield uh, obviously Ange made a change from the midweek win over Brentford, pierre who you who know, played well when he came on uh, in the 3-2 win over the Bees he started uh, with Rodrigo Benton and James Madison again for Benton Kerr he struggled really uh, obviously you've got to remember he's come back from two big injuries uh, but he's I think he just needs game time, doesn't he, at the moment? Maybe you don't want to be expecting too much from him, putting too much pressure on him. Uh, Madison as well, two games in quick succession, did get the assist for Richarlison, tested Jordan Pickford in the second half, really good strike from the player, but meat and drink, I think, for Jordan Pickford, that save uh, in the end. But these are two players who are, you know, Their influence is going to grow over the coming weeks and months. But I think what was evident to see is I think Spurs just missed someone like Eve Basuma in there and Pat Matasar as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, you've taken the words out
1: of my mouth there. I think the dynamic wasn't right. I think that's what it is. Um, Hoybier has his um, different strengths, I think. But I don't think with that trio it quite worked. I don't think. Um, they were just fluid enough in their play. Bentoncourt definitely, he looks like a player at the moment who came back a little bit too soon. Um, Look, it's Rodrigo Bentoncourt. So if he's going to make himself available and everyone says he's fine to play, you're not going to turn down the opportunity to play him because he's a wonderful player. But I just think he hasn't found his groove yet. He doesn't look sharp. He's not making an impact too much on matches at the moment, which is unlike him. He normally grabs them by the scruff of the neck. Um, and when you've got him not doing that, I think it puts more pressure on Hoibier to kind of take control. I don't think that's his game. Um, I Mm -hmm. think his game is more of a, I saw someone on Twitter actually just before we kind of came on and it was really good. It's like, it's like when you've got a gangster movie or something and there's been like, someone's been killed or something, you send in a cleanup guy. And that's Pierre Mohoibert. And I thought that was a really great kind of um, analogy. Is like I, I, I can see that. He is the guy that you put into a situation when you kind of want it fixed, when you want um, a, cool, a cool head, a bit of focus or whatever. And I do think that's why coming into the games, he's been far more successful than when he started them for me. Um, he, he comes in and does the job asked of him. Whereas I think when he starts a game, he maybe has too much of a role in it. And I don't think the Postocogu system fits him that well from the start. Um, and like you say, Madison, yeah. Madison, again, entirely understandable. He's not quite there yet. I felt he got better and better as the game wore on, but and then I thought in exactly the same way, he tired. Um, and that was why he kind of he wasn't able to make as much of an impact as it after that point. I think it just around like that little section in the second half when he had the shot, Poirot had the shot, he set up the – no, sorry, Richardson goals before the break, wasn't it? Maybe if you count the little bit before the break and just after, I thought he was really finding his groove but then started to tire. And I do think Sarr coming on showed a lot of the dynamism that they'd been missing. I think that's what he's going to bring. Um, I have no doubts unless there's some kind of issue in training that he starts – um, against Brighton um, and then there's Basuma uh, we still don't entirely know what kind of ease Basuma we're going to get back um, obviously his head coach the Marley head coach has admitted that like, early on in the tournament he tested positive for malaria um, and has been able to play with it I think he's only started two matches but he's appeared in four came off the bench in extra time in their quarterfinal defeat it's really difficult because only looking at his his quotes the head coach it seems to be that kind of if you've had it before your body deals with it a little bit better whereas it's the first time it's an absolute nightmare for you um and so yeah i don't know how it works in terms of the long term and even like just the the months ahead or so um and whether you can put him straight back into the hustle and bustle and pace of a uh, premier league match i don't know but i agree that even not on form, Basuma, as he hadn't been sharp before he he went, he was still defensively a bit of a brick wall for Spurs. Um, I think we've said this before, his tackles per game um, was one of the top in the Premier League because he was interrupting and and breaking up the opposition attacks. So I think, yeah, that's going to be an interesting one for me. Um, When he's fit enough to play, who makes up that midfield three? Um, Because you've got to have Madison in there, but then I'd, I'd argue that Sars making himself quite um, undroppable at the moment as well, and then the, obviously that means what do you do with Bentoncour? Um, And I think maybe that allows for Bentoncourt not to have to be so like thrown in for as many minutes as possible. But definitely for me, as I said at the top, really. The midfield not being fluid and not connecting well and not being able to hit the first-time passes out to the flanks is meaning that the wide men were pretty much ineffective at the weekend. Werner and Johnson, both for me. Werner involved in the first goal, but there were loads of times I could see them both trying to embark on runs that just weren't spotted and they didn't get the ball. Um, And likewise, like we said with Basuma, if they're not screening defence that well, then the defence is going to be Uh, susceptible to to counter-attacks and, and, yeah, just just moments when I think earlier in the season, you know, very little was getting past them. And, and, you know, the clean sheet thing's an issue. I think they've only had five all season in the Premier League. Um, I think Vicario's only had one since October, which I think was the Forest um, game. Um, they just, they're letting too many goals in and their goals against is like a mid table team. Whereas their goals for is like third or fourth best in the premier league. Um, so it's definitely an area and I do think it's the midfield. I think the midfield combination not being right at the moment, um, isn't helping them. And, uh, yeah, I'm intrigued to see who starts against Brighton. I mean, I think we're, we're probably going to do another podcast later in the week to discuss, Everything that happens with the Brighton game and who comes in and more. So I won't go into that too much now. But yeah, definitely it's something a little bit off about the midfield right now.
0: Yeah. Uh, In terms of the attackers, I felt a bit sorry for Brendan Johnson. I think the majority of the play probably came down the other flank. Spurs as both of the goals came down uh, the left and after such a positive performance uh, for him in midweek against Brighton, a really good 45-minute cameo where he uh, got that goal, you just wanted a bit more from him. And unfortunately, it just didn't work out. And I thought it was the right thing in dropping Kulaseski down to the bench just for a break, really. Uh, but yeah, I reckon there'll probably be a couple of changes uh, there come didn't Saturday. well
1: Kuliseski, did he, when he came on? No. Didn't really show much. And he gave away the foul, didn't he, for the free kick at the end.
0: Yeah, I think so. What did you make of that goal then? The equalizer? <sighs> uh
1: all a bit of a mess, really. Actually, just before I answer that, I was going to ask you one question and it kind of it goes into the Johnson thing. And I saw that again the social media something that I actually saw was interesting rather than <laughs> you often look at social media like Ugh, and you turn off. But this one I saw, it was Van der Ven always plays the ball down the left and it kind of links up with uh, Doggy and Werner and he gets the ball moving down the left. Whereas Romero, he might pass to Porro, but he never or he doesn't seem to pass too much to Johnson and maybe he'll hit the ball infield more often. Do you think that's something that affects Johnson as well, that he doesn't get as much of the ball because of that? I mean, his touches, I looked at them. he only had 20 touches. Werner only had 26 which was about was by far the least touches of any of the twenty two starting players on the day.
0: Yeah, I think it is obviously going to affect you if you're not getting as much as of the ball as the players on the opposite side of the pitch would, because you know, for Johnson to make his mark in the final third, he, he needs the ball. We know what exactly he can offer. As he showed it in Nottingham Forest and we've seen it in, in glimpses so far that Spurs, but yeah, I'd certainly agree. Uh that probably he's gone to certainly have an effect on this game. Yeah, I mean, he's got a show for it. You know, that could yeah, be a
1: reason. Yeah. He's not offering himself enough for it. That, that could be, or he's making the runs that need to be spotted. But yeah, I did think that was interesting. I kind of, I saw that. I was like, oh, do you know, that's kind of right. I do notice the poro pass a lot, but I don't see him trying to find Johnson too much. Like Van der Ven will try to look for a, a slightly longer pass to Werner at times or, or Sonny when he's there. Uh, but yeah, second goal, uh, it was just all a bit of a mess. Going, you know it's another scenario that we've seen so many times this season i think oh, where was the i had the stats somewhere how many late goals they've conceded i'm not sure if i've still is got it, it about yet. 8
0: now something I think it's like 8
1: that. yes they've conceded 8 goals from the 90th minute onwards this season which is their most ever in a single premier league campaign and it's the most of any team in the premier league this season and it's just it's it's attention isn't it it's concentration that's a part of it and I find that interesting because cognitive training sessions are very specifically designed to mimic the length of time and pace and intensity of a Premier League match. They're meant to, at the end, they will like deliberately overload as well to try and keep everyone's concentration. Like weirdly, that's something that Andre Villas-Boas used to do. When they were having some issues with conceding late goals, he would do that. I remember him talking about that. Um, but it's not working. It's not working because again, it's another match where they just have to hold out for another couple of minutes and they just do some daft things. So the Kudasiewski foul in the first place didn't have to happen. There was no need for it. Um, and then Romero makes a complete mess of the header, um, heads it backwards right into the, the area. Then Richarlison, the only time kind of for me, I felt like he did anything particularly wrong he just suddenly stopped tracking Bramthwaite. He was running with him and just stopped. And there's some people that are saying, and I get this, that he was expecting Romero to win the header and head it forward and then he could break. That's a possibility. Um, I certainly wouldn't rule that out. But it just seemed to be a real combination of errors and Vicario not being strong enough again. Um, Vicario maybe could have come out. Maybe the experience from the first goal burnt him a bit and he didn't then come out to try and claim it. Um, and instead looked like he got a very painful whack as well from Branthwaite's knee right in his um area that no one ever wants to be hitting um yeah just a complete mess of a goal really. i didn't really have any complaints i, I couldn't find anyone to uh, to r- r- blame among the officials for that one um it was just yeah not not good enough it was i was trying to think that was that wasn't in front of you was it you were at the yeah, other end but I wasn't. Oh, no. I wasn't. And oh, no, of course, it was Richardson scored in front of you first yeah. half. Oh yeah, there's me thinking that you were right in front of Harrison and could see where he was foul, fouling the car. No, no, actually, no. other end of the pit. Other end,
0: other end. Yeah.
1: Oh, oh, so you couldn't see it anyway. Then that's fine. We'll discount your views on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, God, you must have gone mad, didn't you, when that went in?
0: Uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> <Let me judge. laughs> no, you you, definitely you... dropped your Richardson banner then, didn't you? Yeah, you, you can't beat a last-minute goal and I thought Everton deserved something from the game. Uh Certainly didn't deserve to win the game, didn't do enough, but no. that didn't Vicario. It was one save on his line in the first half and then the one from Chimiti oh, yeah. towards the yeah, end. Yeah,
1: Godfrey's header, he got his legs to, didn't he, right on the line that was that but, one. But then Spurs but, had three big chances at the other end, didn't they, really?
0: Yeah, but didn't put them away, so I thought no. on the balance a draw was uh, a fair result and on the last minute goals, I think, yeah, it certainly is a problem uh, for Spurs in terms of conceding them. Obviously, the notable ones, Everton, Wolves, away uh, as well. But they have conceded some when, you know, the results are already in the bag, but still, it's that attention to detail, concentration, not switching off. But it must also be said that Spurs have also won points late in games as well, most notably, yeah. Sheffield United two goals in stoppage time a last minute winner against Liverpool and the really good point at Man City as well so they have gained points it's not like they've just completely lost them but again like I said it's just that attention to detail just needs to be switched on in those crucial crucial moments
1: Absolutely I mean I've seen some people criticising the substitutions I've seen that as well since I must admit for me I didn't really think too much of that as an issue i think it was just players that were tiring and were being changed and i don't i think they were the kind of i guess the logical options off the bench i mean sarah and came on which you'd expect brian hill later on um skippy came off the bench as well drag us kind of likes to do that back three thing at the moment um and i don't think under a back three is necessarily a defensive move it's more just a shape thing um So, yeah, I was a little bit surprised when I saw that. I do think maybe people forgot that they'd played less than 72 hours beforehand, maybe. Um, And there were a lot of... I think he was worried about exactly what happened, funnily enough, that they were going to get tired, be tired legs, they'd switch off. But as it was, it was, you know, the fresh legs of Kulisevsky that kind of made a bit of a mess in in giving away the free kick in the first place. Um, And then, yeah, one of that back three in... in, uh, in not dealing with it in Romero. Um, but yeah, I kind of feel like you're always going to change your attacking kind of wingers at some point in a game often, especially when they're, they're tiring. And if both, um, i say both, Werner played the, a fair chunk, didn't he, of the uh, Brentford game. And then he's starting this one as well. Madison, yeah, I was actually surprised that he was able to play as long as he did, to be honest, um, less than 72 hours after his first start in so long. Um, and then Benton and Hojbjerg, I mean, Benton like we've said, wasn't on form anyway. Um, and Hojbjerg, yeah, I mean, Hojbjerg, I mean, people were complaining about Hojbjerg anyway, so I can't imagine they were, big, um, you know, too uh, devastated that he went off. So, yeah, I, I kind of felt like the subs thing was a bit of a misnomer. I think they should have still done exactly what was asked of them. I just think it was a failing on the, on the team and the, and the setup myself. Um, and it was just tiring players. But I don't know, what did you think about the subs?
0: I don't think the subs are an issue if Tottenham win that game. Uh, And as you said, quick turnaround, she got some barely any time. Mm -hmm. Had very little time on the training pitch because you'd imagine the Thursday after the Brentford game would have been the rest and recovery day. And then Friday, you're just doing probably your final bit of preparations before travelling to Merseyside. And yeah, yeah, it's one of those, you need to make those changes in the final few minutes, maybe. In hindsight, you leave Heubier gone to help see the game out in midfield. Uh, it's it's just one of those things, I think, as I said, if they won the game, I don't think it's seen as an issue.
1: No, no You're like a yeah, you're a couple of minutes away from everything being absolutely fine and then suddenly you've got to find a reason for why it happened and I guess that's one of the things that people always will look at is, is the manager's contribution but for me I think it's more players than manager I don't I don't think you can really lob that in his court
0: yeah and I think when you're losing the game by one in the final few minutes anyway you know there's going to be you know a bit of an onslaught from the uh, opposition side they were going to be Pumping the ball into the box and doing whatever they can to get a point. And that's what Evan did in the end, scoring from that free kick. Right. Final few minutes of today's pod. Uh, obviously, Tottenham on deadline day completed the signing of Lucas Bergval. Uh, it was the following day, actually, wasn't it? On the Friday, yeah. when he was signing, was announced. Andrew's been speaking about him. Seems very positive.
1: Yeah, yeah, he did. Um, It was actually the Swedish media that grabbed him. It was quite interesting because I I almost asked it in the press conference afterwards. I thought, oh, especially how he was about Jurgen Klopp after the um, City game. It was a bit like, I don't know if he's going to be particularly delighted about speaking about anything other than his crushing disappointment with the result here, uh, which felt like a defeat even though it wasn't. Uh, So I left it, but actually I found out afterwards that uh, Swedish media that had made the trip had, had grabbed him in the tunnel to ask him about him. Uh, And he said, he's a very talented young man, nice young man too, good family. He's already had a really positive start to his career. And we feel like this club will be good for him and he'll be good for us. Obviously he'll be at this, his club for the remainder of the season. And then he'll join us in the summer. And I'm looking forward to having him as part of the group. Um, And I think, you know, I think that's also part of the key of why and how they got him is that, I was looking at, like, uh, Laporta comments, the Barcelona president, and he, he'd been saying about him going into their B team and stuff like that. And it was like, if I'm, a you know, an 18-year-old playing regular football, even if it's Barcelona, if I'm being told I'm going to be probably playing matches in the third tier of Spanish football, it's probably not the biggest selling kind of point. And so I thought that was quite interesting. And, and Andrews very, made it, very much made it clear. And I saw Spurs did a video with him as well talking about him that he's going to come in and be part of his first team squad. You know, that, that's the plan this summer. Um, So, yeah, uh, it was, I thought, I presume you've watched them as well, the uh, the behind the scenes video um, that he's done. It's like an eight minute video of his like day Bergval at the club um, when he's doing his medical and signing. And it backed up a fair few of the things that we've said in the previous podcast. One, Johan Lang being so important to the deal. Um, you could see Lang with the family, he knew them very well that that's that's been a, a, a relationship that has been clearly fostered over a long period of time there um and lang really we really pushed for this signing um and also just what confident lad he is i mean he's 18 years old lucas bergvall and he's the way he's talking to like Postal kok was so funny it was like yeah yeah like bring back three points kind of thing and he's like apostol is like, wow he's like putting pressure on me to go and do this now um yeah he's He's a very interesting, talented young player. Um, and I think you and I will both be, and a lot of people will be keeping a very close eye on how the rest of his season goes. Uh, sorry, the rest of his season. The new season in Sweden. Um, but yeah, and he's been speaking about the move as well, hasn't he?
0: Yeah, uh, I think so. I don't actually have those quotes <laughs> to hand right now. Uh, but I know he's, he was talking about Dan Kulaseski's influence. Yes. yes. Kulaseski. Basically, just outlining day to day stuff, what's happening at the club. I don't think he really needed, you know, to twist his arm that much to join Spurs because I think he quite clearly knows what he's uh, getting by moving to the club. And let's be honest, if Barca are offering him potential B team football, there's only one decision really for him to make. And yeah, he's made that circle so of having an influence on his move, but like I said, not the greatest Plus, he knows what he's coming to.
1: Yeah, very quickly, one of the quotes he said um, in his Spurs interview... Bergwahl was, um, it's always been a dream to play in the Premier League, the best league in the world. It's a really good club with a great manager and a really hungry and young team. They play some really good football and it's really, really fun to watch. So it's a pleasure for me to join. feels like the beginning of an era with a really great coach in Ange. He's a really great man. He gives lots of young players a chance on the big stage. I'm a young player and I know that, but I like to help the team. Um, and yeah, described himself as a box-to-box player who likes to have the ball at his feet and take it forward um yeah very exciting we've kind of almost got to put him like I say to the back of our minds and keep checking on him but see what he's like it's a bit like a lesser version of uh Luka vuskovic it's like you know they'll be there and you know they're very talented players we've kind of got to wait a little while to see I'm intrigued to see what it means for Alfie Devine um as I did with Ashley Phillips coming in and what that meant for Alfie Dorrington I'm intrigued to see because they're very similar players in terms of the positions they play um different kind of players I think in in their physique, you know, Bergville's six foot one, he's a big lad. Alfie Divine, a little bit smaller than that, but obviously is has already kind of having a very good um education this year in the um with Port Vale and now Plymouth in terms of the physical side of the game. So he actually might be ahead in that respect. Um but yeah, I'm intrigued to see whether that, that is a bit of a blockage in the pathway for um uh Alfie Divine. We'll see. But uh yeah, very exciting young player.
0: Right, I think we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Golden Guest Tot Tottenham. As Ali says, we'll be back later in the week, so look ahead to Saturday's home clash against Brighton and Hove Albion. In the meantime, thank you for just listening and keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. To grab our huge discount off your NordVPN plan go to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest. You can receive an extra four months for free and there's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. The link is in the episode description box.